screaming kids running around the house, unleashing chaos, um, worries, flooding your soul, feeling you, leaving you feeling internally fragmented, the war going on inside your head, competing demands pulling you apart, a relationship in tatters, cultural tribalism, fear of the other, conflicts between nations, systemic discrimination uh, based on race, gun violence, and in each and every case, the longing is exactly the same. Peace. We long for peace to be on the way. Peace and quiet, internal peace, peace with justice, weapons laid down, Peace is a, is a theme that we encounter throughout the season of Advent and the season of, of Christmas. It's on holiday cards, holiday decorations. Some people have it spelled out in lights on their yard. We hear it streaming from car radios and, and store, store speakers. Yet experience has shown us that peace be elusive, even this time of year. Loneliness, family tensions, overblown expectations, unexpected crises, grief, national tragedies. Make, make it seem just beyond our reach. Often our popular notions of peace focus on peace as the absence of conflict or turmoil uh, or, or a, a state of, of serenity. Sometimes I'm watching YouTube TV and during the commercial break, they'll pop up a screen with like a picture of a beach in the ocean and says, enjoy your moment of zen. And that's, I mean, that's really nice. And the kind of peace that the Bible describes, the kind of peace that the peace, the Prince of Peace, Jesus, brings and makes possible, the kind of peace that we are, are supposed to live is so much more than that. And even as we long for peace to come to us, Jesus desires us to seek it and be a part of bringing it about in our world right now. It's not just a destination or a state. It is a way. Let us pray. God, open our hearts and minds to your word for us this day. We pray that it would take root there grow us, transform us, so that we might live for you and bear fruit for your kingdom. This we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, scripture readings this morning come both from the prophet Isaiah and from Paul's letter to the Philippians. So first from uh, Isaiah chapter 9. Hear now God's word. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in a pitch dark land, light has dawned. You have made the nation great. You have increased its joy. They rejoiced before you as with joy at the harvest, as those who divide plunder rejoice. As on the day of Midian, you've shattered the yoke that burdened them, the staff on their shoulders and the rod of their oppressor, because every boot of the thundering warriors and every garment rolled in blood will be burned, fuel for the fire. A child is born to us, a son is given to us, and authority will be on his shoulders. 
He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be vast authority and endless peace for David's throne and for his kingdom, establishing and sustaining it with justice and righteousness now and forever. The zeal of the Lord of heavenly forces will do this. Then from Philippians, the fourth chapter, verses 4 through 7. Be glad in the Lord always. Again, I say, be glad. Let your gentleness show in your treatment of all people. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. Rather, bring all, all your requests to God in your prayers and petitions, along with giving thanks. Then the peace of God that exceeds all understanding will keep your hearts and minds safe in Christ Jesus. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, as we briefly talked about last week, neither Isaiah's audience nor Paul's audience were experiencing much of what we would consider the circumstances conducive for happiness. And really, the same could be said for peace. Isaiah's prophetic words came on the heels of the destruction of, of Jerusalem and Babylonian captivity, yet another conflict in a long line of this fragmented existence for God's people Israel. It was not a time of peace. Paul's Philippian audience was deeply influenced by Greco-Roman pagan culture, which was defined in a lot of ways by anxiety. I mean, with so many idols and gods and goddesses on every corner, all of them potentially out to get you for some offense that you might not even know about. You never knew if something bad was waiting for you around the corner. Plus, Christians uh, across Rome were beginning to be persecuted with uh, their property being confiscated or being thrown in, in jail. And yet, and yet, peace is exactly what Isaiah and Paul proclaim for God's people. Isaiah looks ahead with hope to the fulfillment of the Messianic promise from God where, where a ruler who truly, truly represented God would come and establish lasting peace for Israel. He would be a prince of peace. Paul promises a deep peace from, that comes from God that surpasses all understanding. The Hebrew word for peace that Isaiah uses is shalom, right? You've heard that greeting before, perhaps, um, greeting of peace. The word is shalom, and that word is used all throughout the Old Testament. At its core, shalom refers to something complex with many pieces being in a state of completeness or wholeness. Like in 1 Samuel, when Jesse, David's father, asks David to go and check on the shalom of his brothers who were in the army. Right? In other words, their, their well-being, their wholeness. Or like in Job 5.24, you will know your tent is secure, you will examine your home and find nothing missing, or find shalom. Or 1 Kings 9.25, when King Solomon completed the construction of the temple, he brought shalom to it. So when the prophet Isaiah looked forward to the coming Messiah, he was looking for the prince of shalom, the one who would bring more than just conflict resolution, but one who would restore and complete what was broken and fragmented with Israel. One who would bring something better to bear. Wholeness, completeness. 
The Greek word in the New Testament for peace borrows in the, on this Hebrew meeting, and the word is erene, and it comes from the verb ero, which means to tie together into a whole. So you see the similarities, to tie together into a whole. So when Paul speaks of it in a reine that surpasses all understanding, he's not just talking about the absence of worry or anxiety. He's not just talking about some escape to a moment of zen. He's talking about a completeness or a wholeness that Jesus brings into our hearts and lives, that Jesus makes of our hearts and our lives. The presence of something better, presence of of Jesus himself tying us together. The idea is that, that life is complex with many moving parts and pieces, relationships and thoughts and situations, and when any of them are out of alignment or are missing, shalom breaks down and needs to be restored. The other night I, I was watching our, our middle son work on a, on a puzzle, and he is he's quite the, the puzzle whiz. He amazes me with his ability uh, to put these, these puzzles together. And it was almost uh, bedtime, bath time, and I was already at the top of the stairs, at the top of the landing, and I was looking down on him finishing the, the puzzle. Um, and he appeared, it appeared that the puzzle was, was finished, except, I notice he was like shaking his head and, and looking around frantically, um, going through toy drawers, opening up the closet, looking underneath a cabinet on the floor, sticking his head down there like he was looking for something. And I realized that there was one piece missing in the very center of that puzzle. It was not complete. And so he was not at peace because there was still a missing piece. God designed the world for shalom. Heaven and earth were one, were complete and whole. Humanity was complete and whole with God and with one another and with the rest of creation. Like a, like a beautiful and complex puzzle, like this Lightning McQueen. No, I'm just kidding. But like a, a beautiful, complex puzzle with all the pieces beautifully put together. But then when, when human beings let sin loose in, in the world, the result, of, the result was, was fragmentation of everything that was once complete and not lacking. And immediately, right, in, in Genesis we see violence and mistrust and all kinds of, of non-peaceful, non-whole things. There's fragmentation within ourselves. There's fragmentation, brokenness in our relationship between us and God and our communities and the world with division. We know this all too well. But the good news, friends, is that peace has come. The restore the broken pieces and make whole again kind of peace has come and His name is Jesus. That's why the angels proclaim at His birth, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. This is precisely why Jesus came to restore everything that was fragmented. Jesus came to complete the promise of God. Jesus restored what was missing in our relationship with God because of sin. He restored our broken relationship with our Creator. The Prince of Peace came to, to pick up all the broken pieces, all of the scattered fragments, and put them back together again through His life, through His death, through His resurrection. That's the reason that Paul, uh, that's the reason that Paul says in his letters that, that Jesus Himself is our peace. Or that through Christ we have peace with God. Or that... <laughs> 
Through Christ, the dividing wall of hostility has been broken down between Jew and Gentile, and God is making one new humanity. Jesus sums up completeness. The trouble is, we look at lack of peace out there in the world, lack of peace inside of us. We look at the fragmentation out there in here, and we try to find peace by putting in the wrong peace. It would be like my son going to a different puzzle box and grabbing a piece from the different puzzle to try to complete the one who had the miss, that had the missing piece. It's like we want the peace of God without the God of peace. We somehow think that the, the missing piece to completeness or wholeness is something besides Jesus. We can't expect God to be the source of our peace if the world is the source of our satisfaction. The peace of God comes from the God of peace. The peace of God comes from the God of peace. To cultivate peace, we need to trust God with the pieces. Peace is not just the absence of conflict, but the presence of something better. We know what that better is. His name is Jesus. It's Jesus himself. After all, Paul begins chapter 4 in Philippians by saying, the Lord is near. Everything that follows is because of that. The Lord is near. The reason we can have peace in our hearts is because Jesus is near and he brings peace. He brings peace because he's the restorer of pieces. Despite what we might be seeing or feeling, even when things seem to spin out of control, even then, when we can find it in ourselves to trust that Jesus holds it all together, that Jesus holds it all together, holds all the fragments and all the brokenness together, we experience wholeness. When we simultaneously lose and find ourselves in the truth that we are God's beloved children, that the past, the present, the future are in God's hands and God's love will not let us go, we experience peace. Our God is a restorer, an artist. When God sees us, when God sees the world, God does not see a fragmented mess. God sees a work of art being restored in love. But to experience peace is also to have an orientation of peace in the world. It is to cultivate it everywhere we go. You see, those who know and believe they have peace with God, who are, who are made whole through Jesus Christ, become the kind of people who work for peace in the world seeking to restore and complete and make whole whatever is fragmented. Those who worship a Savior, a King, who restores fragmented things to completeness and wholeness, again, must be about that work too. We must walk in the way and live in the way of peace. That way of peace doesn't envision an escape from the world, but an engagement with the world in all of its brokenness so that justice can roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Peacemakers are those who see the world and people as fragmented, but also hold a dream, a vision that God can and does reach out to heal and to restore our world and our lives. And our role is to help bring about that shalom together 
to live in the way of peace is to see what that missing piece is, to get it, to help fill it in. So maybe the way of peace is like, is about becoming experts at puzzles. Like my son looking at an assortment of pieces on the floor scattered around and beginning to, to piece them together again to make the puzzle complete. Maybe we're supposed to look out at our surroundings, at our, at our world, and notice what is fragmented, what is not whole, and begin to pick up the pieces bit by bit to help put things back together again. What pieces, what fragments would you try to help put together right now? If we engaged in peacemaking in this way, it would come a lot closer to the way peace looks in Scripture rather than the, the pursuit of a kind of false unity described, uh, false unity disguised as peace that glosses over what is broken, that glosses over the hurt, that glosses over the pain, where we want to just jump to everybody holding hands without doing the hard work of restoration and justice. That's why those coexist bumper stickers Drive me a little bit crazy. Sorry if you have one. You don't have to take it off your car. Uh, not because I don't care for the other religions or religious tolerance, but because for Christians, that doesn't go far enough. I wish they, they said shalom instead. Because you, you can coexist without having done anything about what is broken and fragmented. You can coexist and still have deep wounds and wrongs and injustices that have not been made whole. Peace and justice are two sides of the same coin. In Philadelphia, there's a really creative peacemaking mission and ministry taking place there. It's called Raw Tools. Raw Tools. They noticed the fragmentation resulting from gun violence and decided to do something. So this ministry takes guns that people donate and turns them into garden tools, which they then sell. So an AK-47 becomes a garden spade and a hoe. It's literally beating swords into plowshares. In addition to kind of the inspiring visual that that provides... In addition to taking guns off the streets, part of the proceeds go to support community garden programs where people who have been victims of trauma and violence can go and receive therapy while gardening with the tools made from weapons. Such a beautiful, beautiful witness of, of bringing Christ's peace. Shalom, Irene. To live in the way of peace is indeed beautiful and transformative, but it takes a lot of work. Taking it, taking what is broken and restoring it to wholeness, to completeness in our lives, our relationships, our world is hard and, and even messy, but it's nothing less than participating in the very life of Jesus. And though you may not feel it or hear it or believe it, the darkness and the violence and the chaos is lessened when you live in the way of peace. The pieces that we seek to restore make a difference. Peace can seem like a, like a faraway dream. I'm guessing most of us long for it in some way. 
but take heart. Remember, we, we worship a Savior who came to bring us peace by taking up all the broken and fragmented pieces of our lives and our world and making them complete and whole within Himself. Christ continues to break in to our midst with the advent of His peace. And He's a master at restoring. We have peace with God because of Him and the assurance that in the end, all will be well. He holds it all together, friends. That makes peace possible. Especially if we're walking in the way of peace ourselves. As we prepare for the birth of the Prince of Peace this Advent season, I invite us to look for the peacemakers, the puzzle makers. Better yet, ask for God's guidance as you seek to be one yourself. And may the peace of Christ be with us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.